Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is entitled Ten Words and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October 2nd, 2005. On June 27, 2005, the Supreme Court handed down two five-to-four decisions regarding public displays of the Ten Commandments. The court allowed an exhibit at the state capitol in Texas, but barred them at two Kentucky courthouses. By one count, there are some 4,000 public displays of the commandments around the country, including the Supreme Court itself, the building, and inside its courtroom, and also in the Library of Congress. Zeal for the Ten Commandments runs high in America, but so does a breathtaking ignorance. A 2004 Barna poll, for example, documented that 79% of Americans oppose the idea of removing displays of the Ten Commandments from government buildings, even though a survey by Poltronics released one day after the High Court's decision indicated that fewer than 10% of Americans can identify more than four of the commandments. Across the last 3,000 years, the Decalogue, literally 10 words, has functioned as a moral gyroscope to maintain the ethical equilibrium of societies of widely divergent times, places, cultures, and religions. Christians inherited them from Judaism. Islam honors Moses as a prophet, and Hinduism and Buddhism embrace the spirit, if not the letter of the Ten Commandments. Here, then, are the ten words that Yahweh gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. You shall have no other gods before Yahweh. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. The first four commandments inform our relationship with God, while the last six speak to our relationships with each other. Even though all of us have broken many of these commandments, most people acknowledge that they serve all humanity as a moral compass to point us in a direction that promotes a true north of health and wholeness, and that in neglecting them, we lose our way. In this sense, the Ten Commandments are promises that give life rather than, rather than prohibitions that repress. Hurricane Katrina ripped the roofs off thousands of homes, but watching the looters and shooters reminded us that when the moral fabric of society is ripped off, we descend into what Thomas Hobbes called a state of nature that is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Katrina's natural disaster was bad enough, but with time, money, and willpower, New Orleans can rise above the floodwaters. The ensuing social disaster was worse, for our moral capital is not so easily replenished. A favorite author of mine, 
Chris Hedges, recently published a book about the Decalogue entitled Losing Moses on the Freeway, The Ten Commandments in America. As an award-winning war correspondent in 50 countries over 20 years, Hedges brings a remarkable life story and passion to his storytelling about these most famous ten words, mystery, idols, lying, Sabbath, family, murder, adultery, theft, envy, greed, and in an epilogue, love. Hedges grew up in rural upstate New York where his father was a Presbyterian pastor. Five years at an elite boarding school, what he describes as the loneliest of his childhood, left him with what he calls, quote, a deep hostility to authority and a visceral distaste for the snobbery of the well-born, end quote. Six days after graduating from Colgate University, he began a two-year stint as a pastor in the violent ghetto of Roxbury in Metro Boston, an experience that proved so unsettling that it provoked him to leave both church and seminary. After a year in South America, Hedges completed his divinity degree at Harvard. The Ten Commandments, says Hedges, are not moral abstractions divorced from daily life. There is nothing abstract about the commandments, write Hedges, to those who know the sting of their violation or who have neglected their call. His book desacralizes the contemporary idolatries we so readily worship, the state, the nation, especially in its glorification of war and legitimation, even sacralization of violence, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, sex, and economic class. His chapter on murder, for example, recounts the tortured conscience of an Episcopal priest who estimates that he killed 300 people as a young soldier in the Vietnam War. For theft, he explores the breadth and depth of corporate greed through the experience of R. Foster Winans, a writer for the Wall Street Journal who did prison time for succumbing to insider trading. Hedges includes himself in the struggle for moral integrity and personal authenticity that we all experience. The darkness I discovered in Roxbury, he writes, was my own darkness. No one, he reminds us, is immune from corrosive impulses, but to flaunt the moral grammar of the universe is to court spiritual, emotional, and psychological death. Hedges has experienced enough to know just when and how this happens, whether in a bar in Sarajevo or in a gleaming skyscraper office in Manhattan. Quote, the wars I covered from Central America to Yugoslavia were places where the sanctity and respect for human life, that which the commandments protect, were ignored. Bosnia with its rape camps, genocide, looting, raising of villages, its heady intoxication with violence, power, and death illustrated, like all wars, what happens when societies thrust the commandments aside? End quote. The commandments, concludes Hedges, save us from false covenants and idols that promise so much and deliver so little. They help us to frame the most important questions that a person can ask. 
like the mystery of good and evil, the meaning of living in community, the nature of integrity, the meaning of fidelity, or the necessity of honesty. In honoring the commandments, we embrace the sanctity of life, the power of love, and their function to bind us together in life-affirming community. Only the courts can decide whether it is legal to display the Ten Commandments in public spaces, but only you and I can choose whether they will strengthen the social fabric that knits all of us together. Now for further reflection. As a family, small group, or Sunday school class, watch the classic film entitled The Decalogue by the Polish director Krzysztof Kieślowski a series of 10 one-hour films about each of the commandments. It's available for purchase at Amazon.com if not otherwise available. It's also available in a book form entitled Decalogue, The Ten Commandments by Krzysztof Kieślowski. Second, Kieślowski explored the interior lives of his characters and not just whether they kept external commands. Love, he observed, to take one example, was, quote, in your heart and not between your legs, end quote. In what sense, then, are the commandments more about inner goodness rather than external rule-keeping? Number three, identify some of the modern manifestations of the Decalogue's prohibitions. For example, idolatry, murder, envy, theft, and greed. Fourth, consider Paul's words from the epistles for this week, where he writes about, quote, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, end quote. Philippians 3, verse 9. Fifth and finally, for further reading, you might take a look at the book by David W. Gill on the Ten Commandments entitled Doing Right, Practical, Practicing Ethical Principles, InterVarsity Press, 2004. My book note for October 2nd reviews the book by Bill Bryson entitled A Walk in the Woods, Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail, New York, Broadway Books, 1995. When Bill Bryson returned to the United States after living in Britain for 20 years, he decided to reacquaint himself with his home country in a rather unique way. He decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. The AT, as it is called in hiker lingo, opened in 1937 and snakes 2,000 2, miles across 14 states, from Georgia to Maine. Nor did Bryson go it alone. Stephen Katz, a colorful childhood friend from Iowa, whom he had barely seen in 25 years, joined him. Both hikers were grossly out of shape as they approached their midlife venture, and neither knew the least thing about hiking and camping. Bryson is a brilliant writer and a comic genius, and in his hands their many AT experiences spring to life, from buying their equipment to obsessing about bear attacks, through rain and snow, filth and mud, and encounters with oddballs and eccentrics they met along the trail. 
Interspersed among the comic narrative, Bryson alternates with the history, topography, and geography of the Appalachian Trail. As I myself prepared to hike the comparatively short John Muir Trail in California, a mere 200 miles, a friend who knew that I was a rookie recommended I read this book. Several others have too. Bryson's walk enjoyed a run on the bestseller list of the New York Times a few years ago, and I found myself resonating with one reviewer who compared Bryson to a combination of John Muir and Dave Barry. The Appalachian Trail is a hike of five million steps, says Bryson, but you can enjoy this wonderful book without ever leaving the house. Our film review for October 2nd is of a film entitled Unchained Memories, Readings from the Slave Narratives, 2003. The end of the Civil War in 1865 freed about four million slaves in America, a significant number of whom lived into the 1940s. During the Depression, what was called the Federal Writers Project hired people to interview and record first-person narratives from these former slaves, those who would be the last first-hand resource that could document their experiences. Today, the Library of Congress houses 2,000 such interviews in their original dialect and broken English in the simply titled Slave Narratives. This film documentary uses original still photographs, contemporary reenactments, slave music, a running commentary by Whoopi Goldberg, and most notably, and thus the film's title, dramatic readings of those original slave narratives by contemporary African-American actors and actresses like Oprah Winfrey. In just over an hour, you learn about the daily horrors of slave life from those who lived to tell of it. Relentless work, horrendous housing and diet, the denial of education, sexual violence, and how the, quote, masters, end quote, use Christianity to keep their slaves passive. This is a deeply moving film about our nation's very recent past. I recommend watching it in conjunction with the seven-part PBS documentary on the civil rights movement called Eyes on the Prize. Finally, for poetry for this week, we have posted the poem Death Be Not Proud, Holy Sonnet Number 10 by John Donne. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure. Then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and soul's delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke. Why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 2nd. And please join us every Monday for a new essay, book note, film review, and poem. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.